Whew. Good morning, everybody. I can confirm that I am the silliest thing that John has ever brought onto the stage in church. Um, <clears throat> so my wife tells me anyway. Uh, how's everybody doing? Okay, uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name's Ian Somerville. I'm one of the pastors here. I've been involved in Journey forever, uh, since before Journey was a thing, and uh, it, it is honestly a privilege to be part of this church. Uh, it's not the only thing I get to do in the world. Uh, I am also a primary school principal. Yep, can you imagine me actually in a school with a real job? It is, like I know. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and I'm probably dafter there than I am here, so uh, yeah, it tells you how, how our school is. It's great. Um, uh, I'm also, if you don't, so if you don't know me from church and you don't know me from school, you will definitely know that I'm Jonah's daddy. Uh, Jonah is the little Thai boy that will be running doing laps here, and he will definitely talk to you. In fact, the last time I said this, somebody was like, oh, I don't know Jonah. We don't, we've never, you know, there were visitors, like, we've never met Jonah. They met me down the street, and then they realized, like, a few weeks later, oh my goodness, we actually did know Jonah, because we know his childminder. <laughs> Honestly, he's the most extroverted child ever, and uh, if, you haven't, uh, if you haven't met Jonah, I'm pretty sure you will at the end of the service. Um, so... Where are we? What are we doing? We are in the middle of 40 days of prayer and fasting. Woohoo! Come on! Yeah, yeah. Uh, everybody loves fasting. Everybody loves fasting for an extended period of time. And uh, no, we don't. <laughs> it's hard. Fasting's hard. Uh, but we, here we are in the middle of 40 days of prayer and fasting. And we're in the middle of our series on prayer and fasting. So the first week uh, we had Mike and Mike talk to us about the idea of, are you hungry enough to go without? You know, are you actually ready to give up some things, to sacrifice some things, uh, some fleshy things, so that we actually might have a hunger of a spiritual nature rise up in the midst of church? Uh, then the second week, John didn't really preach so much as he came up and just demonstrated powerful intercession. Uh, if you missed that, genuinely go check it out on YouTube, go check it out on our Facebook. There was something significant shifted and happened in our church that morning. And of course, if you were here last week, we had Richard. And Richard, yeah, uh, who was here last week? Yeah, it was really, really powerful. Uh, Richard gave us a word essentially about how to move from nice prayers and nice prayer meetings into real intercession. And that's what I want to pick up on today. That's what I want to go after a little bit. Um, but I, I don't know if you have felt this. I don't know if you've experienced this just yet. But there's something happening in our church at the minute. There's something going on here. And there's no point lying about it. It is entirely connected to the fact that there, we're allowing hunger to rise up in the midst of church through fasting and prayer. The very fact, a couple of weeks ago, and I know Richard talked about this last week, when you go to an intercessor's prayer meeting and the room is, at, like, you, you can barely find a place to be because there's so many people have showed up. And the fact that it is not just like a small committed group of people, and there will always be a small committed group of people who, who intercede in, in any church if it's gonna have any power in it at all. But it was a multi-generational room. There were young people there. There were old people there. There were everything in between. It was amazing. And to see that that's happening and to see that there's hunger, it just is the most encouraging thing. Um, and I feel like it's just the very foretaste of what God has for us and what God wants to do with us. And it feels like Everything we go to do, like we, we come worship this morning, there's just an extra sense of God's presence with us. 
Is anybody with me on that? Or is everybody just going, oh, no, no, it's just normal. It might feel a wee bit normal for us at this point, but I promise you there's something happening in our church at the minute. So we want to press into that. We want to go after that. Um, So I'm going to step back a bit and I'm going to talk about why we're here, why we're doing what we're doing, how we ended up in this place of doing a series in prayer and fasting and of doing a fast for an extended period of time. Apart from the fact it's a good idea to do these things, there is actually specific reason for that. Um, Now those of you who do know me know that I'm not really interested in the Christian celebrity thing. Um, Christians who are celebrities to me are a bit of a misnomer, it doesn't make any sense. Yes, you honor people who God has called, and you receive off that, and you have a, a respect and all of those things for, for those people, but they're, they're just Christians. They're just doing what God's called them to do. Uh, I don't tend to do the celebrity thing anyway. However, there are, there are a few notable exceptions to those things, all right? When I was younger, and we're talking about 13, 14, uh, for me, the worship leader was... The leader of Delirious, who is? Martin Smith. Okay, good. Phew, at least you know who I'm talking about. You won't know the next one, but at least you know who Martin Smith is. Martin Smith, to me, growing up, it was actually my wife who introduced me to Delirious when I was 13, 14, something like that. And uh, I was was like, basically, there's no good Christian music. Christians are stupid. Christian music is awful. And Jill was like, well, try listening to this. And she actually bought me a Delirious CD at a Scripture Union camp uh, down in Avoca many, many years ago. Before we were even dating, you kind of pushed me towards that. And for, so for me, in my head, Martin Smith was the worship leader. So meeting Martin Smith a few years ago, it's one of the few occasions where I've had the sort of trembly, oh my goodness, I'm meeting one of my heroes. What if he doesn't live up to my expectations? And I can tell you he actually, he, he more than lived up to my expectations. He was the real deal. The other Christian celebrity in my life was another worship leader. Okay, this one you won't have, well, I'll be really impressed if anybody's heard of Owen Heaslip. Anybody heard of Owen Heaslip? Yeah, okay, good. There are some Christians in the house, excellent. Um, so when I grew up, Owen, he's a, and he's, Owen's actually, he is the pastor, he's the minister in the church that he was doing worship in all those years ago. And Owen to me was like, it was, there was him and Robin Mark were Ireland's worship leaders. And I think I probably would have had a bit of hero worship of Robin Mark if I hadn't been in CFC and kind of, you know, seen behind the curtain that he was a real human being. But these people were on pedestals for me. And when I've met them over the years, like those are the few people that I've just like, you know, the, the mouth goes dry, and you don't know what to say. And then your wife's nudging you going, why are you being so weird? Uh, Because at a certain point in my life, these people were really, really significant. Now, there's another couple of people who, if I I always thought if I ever met them, I would have a wee bit of a, you know, I would be like, you know, a bit nervous meeting them. And one of them was Lou Engel. And Lou, of course, comes last uh, August to our conference. Uh, Lou, if you don't know Lou, Lou has been... Uh, doing incredible ministry for years and years over in America through prayer, through fasting, and he was connected to a movement over there uh, called the Kansas City Prophets. So these are people I had read about in books, I'd seen videos of, and actually when he was there in the flesh, I found myself going, oh yeah, well, I'm a bit nervous about meeting him or seeing him. And I found out, you know, although I try not to do the Christian celebrity thing, I was like, okay, there's something significant about this guy. And of course, you're standing at Kingdom Come and God goes, I want you to go and ask Lou to pray for you. And I'm like, 
no, I'm not doing that. I am absolutely not doing that. And you know how God's like a bloodhound when he's got a sniff of something that you're, you're unwilling to yield or do? I just kept going every time I would be there and be like, I want you to go and ask Lou to pray for you. I want you to go and ask Lou to pray for you. I want you to go and ask Lou to pray for you. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. So eventually on the last night, God was like, you better go and ask Lou to pray for you right now. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. Stubborn, okay? I'm stubborn, hard-hearted. The Lord needs to break through. So I took a cop out and I said, hey, Jordan, Jordan DeMarco, who knows Lou very well? I was like, do you think Lou would pray for me? And he went, yeah, just wait there. And I was like, no, no, Jordan, honestly, like, don't, like, you know, if you can't make that happen, don't be silly, you know, I'll be okay. So within about 30 seconds, Jordan had Lou over, and Jill and I were standing, and Lou was praying for me. And immediately I knew it was a mistake. <laughs> okay? Immediately I knew, I was like, oh no. This is one of those moments of impartation, and one of those moments of prayer, and one of those life-changing things that's going to have an impact on me for years. And I'll be honest, in the very best way, I was totally messed up for about the next two weeks. All right? The next two weeks, every night, I had two or three crazy prophetic dreams. Two or th- at least two or three, I was waking up at two o'clock, five o'clock, and I know it's not healthy to have your phone beside your bed, but I was in, in my little notepad and putting, the, uh, putting down different uh, dreams and interpretations that God was giving me through the night. Very little, now, there's very little sleep in the Somerville household with a toddler anyway, but this was even less so. Um, so I was, and I've had lots of dreams since. And it has continued, but not at the same intensity. So for that two-week period, God gave me dreams and spoke to me with revelation that I, I probably am going to spend the next couple of years processing and working through. In fact, some of it might take a bit longer than that. Some of it might take a lifetime. But there's life words and things in there where God is sort of in visitation and in dreams really, really spoken to me. So I'm going to share one of these dreams with you this morning. And for all of the lovely heresy hunters out there who are going, this fella has talked now for about 10 minutes. He hasn't opened the Bible. He's just told silly stories. And he's now about to give some prophetic revelation from a dream. Great. Okay. <laughs> Hope you're enjoying the sermon. Now, again, I am a teacher by trade and I am a teacher by gift. So I am going to go in and we are going to do, we are coming to some deeper Bible teaching in a moment. But God wants to position us this morning. He wants to actually show us what's going on in the spiritual realm in our land, and he actually wants to encourage us. And one of the things I I think the Lord really wants to do for us this morning is to move us, like Richard was talking about last week, from lovely prayers and nice ideas in a prayer meeting to being overtaken and overcome by a spirit of intercession. And that's where we're going to at the end of this. We're going to pray and we're going to receive this spirit of intercession in our church that we would begin to pray big prayers, that we would begin to believe big things and we would actually start to see some of the things shift in our land. So I'm going to share this dream with you and again, I'll unpick a little bit of it after I've shared it. Um, So in this dream, uh, I was driving through Ballymena and I perceived that Ireland and Ballymena were in general just absolutely ripe for the harvest. It was like you could see all of the fields just full of grain that was almost weighing over. It was so ripe and so ready for harvest. And I perceived that there was a spirit 
holding back the harvest. And I asked the Lord to show me who this spirit is. And he, he took me and showed me a picture of this black, oily, nasty spirit which hovered over the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic. God spoke to me and said, this is the principality that sits over Ireland. It looked like and it behaved like venom from uh, the MCU, from Marvel, okay? Any Marvel fans, you'll kind of know what I'm talking about. Not the best Marvel film in the world, but sometimes God uses things that we understand and pictures that we have to speak to us about spiritual things. And I asked God, what is the name of this spirit? And the Lord said to me, this spirit is called sectarian. This is the spirit of sectarianism. The Lord went on to tell me in the dream that this spirit was an alien, he was a foreign invader, not a native of our land. And he was currently pulling all the strings. And I could see like Venom had his tentacles and his hands basically in government, in schools, in homes, in businesses, in every part of society. You could see that he was pulling all the strings and that he had ultimate influence. So the, the Lord spoke to me and said, this is so embedded that it's only going to come out and be defeated by a serious, concerted, and focused effort of prayer and fasting. So here we are. Now, I, I've grown up in the charismatic church in Northern Ireland. I've been at all the weird services where we've defeated the spirit of sectarianism. And we've had Catholics and Protestants come together and shake hands and forgive each other and cry on stage. I've, I've done all that, okay? I've, I've seen all that. I have been part of that. I've seen some incredible things happen. And the, the truth is, we've actually seen a lot of good, positive change in our land over the last 30, 40 years. The Northern Ireland that I grew up in is very different to the Northern Ireland that my son will grow up in. But what God is saying to us right now is that there is still a principality in this land that remains undefeated. And until the people of God get serious about prayer and fasting against that, it's going to stand and it's going to have influence in our land. And I don't want my son to grow up under the influence of that principality in this land. So I'm gonna, we're going to look at two scriptures because I feel like God's kind of given us some strategy in this. So this is how we got here. This is how we got here with prayer and fasting. And I shared this with the elders and this, this is where we get to. And I, yes, and at the start of each year, we generally do some prayer and fasting, but we, we're going to something concerned. This is the first taste of what we're going to do in this. There is going to be a lot more prayer. There's going to be a lot more fasting. There's going to be a lot more of this in the rhythm of our church because we are called to come right up against this. Okay? See, I remember... Maybe some of you are also old enough to remember. I remember like the Good Friday Agreement being signed. I remember also the referendum that came after that. But I also remember the prayer that surrounded that. The prayer meetings for peace. The prayer on the, uh, on the steps at Stormont. I remember all. If you're old enough, you'll remember those things. And church is really coming out and praying and believing that God would break through and that we would see peace in Northern Ireland. And we have seen a measure of that, but there is much more to do in this realm. We're not there yet. Okay? 
So we're going to look here at, uh, we're going to go to Second Chronicles, we're going to go to chapter 7. Uh, we're going to begin at verse 11. Now this is a really famous scripture. I dare say at some point you've been in a prayer meeting where somebody has read at least a portion of this scripture, okay? Uh, but we're going to read this. I'm also going to give a health warning here. I am a teacher. I am a teacher. Context is really, really important. And sometimes in the charismatic world, we have this really great habit of taking something that sounds awesome and applying it to ourselves when it doesn't really apply to us. So we're not going to do that. But there's also principles in here and there's something that God wants to speak to us about where we're at as a land, as a nation, and where we're at as a church. Okay, so God, there, there's, there, there are a couple of levels here, but we have to be important we understand the context. So let's look. Second uh, Chronicles uh, chapter 7, beginning at verse 11. Uh, I'm reading in the ESV. Other versions are available. Okay, so verse 11. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Okay. As I say, context important here. That's a pretty powerful scripture and a pretty incredible model of what intercession might look like. We have to understand what this scripture is in context of. So this is the response from the Lord to a prayer Solomon has already prayed. Okay? So Solomon, a chapter before this, and we're going to look at it in a second, Solomon prays a really specific prayer in the dedication of the temple. This just comes after Solomon's temple during this golden era of Israel where they're having victories and they're, they're just living off the goodness of God and they've built this incredible temple. They've moved from David's tabernacle into this incredible uh, temple that has been constructed, that's been built. It's taken them a long time to do it. That's where, this verse, that's where these verses come, okay? Also, let us not be arrogant enough to assume that when the Lord has spoken something to the people of Israel, it automatically applies to us, okay? Right? God is speaking to the people of Israel here about a specific time and specific season. Let's be careful about how we apply things. So uh, let's go back. We're going to go back a chapter uh, earlier. We're going to go back to Chronicles uh, chapter 6, verse nine, beginning at verse 19. And we're going to see the prayer that Solomon prayed to elicit this response from the Lord. Okay? What prayer did Solomon say that God went, right, I'm going to listen to the prayers of this house. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to heal your land. What prayer did Solomon pray to get that response from God? Let's look at it. So this is uh, chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. Uh, yet, this is Solomon praying. Yet, have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you. 
that your eyes may be open day and night towards this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this place and listen to the pleas your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place and listen from heaven your dwelling place and when you hear, forgive. I mean, it's almost word for word what Solomon asks, what the Lord responds with. And I feel like one of the things that God wants us to understand from this is we've got to get really specific about our prayers and our intercessions. We actually need to record some of them as well. Write them down. If God's stirring something with you, note it. I mean, come on. Most of us are millennials or younger. You want to record it in your notes, that's fine. Write it down somewhere. Like, so I grew up in a house where my dad, 5 a.m. every morning, his alarm went off. You heard him get out of bed. He went into his study and he prayed. And in his study, he had a prayer journal where he wrote down all of the things that he was praying for, all the people he was praying for, all the situations he was praying for. And every day he would jo- and he would go, and if something if it had been an answered prayer, he would go squirt out and he would put something else in his diary or put in a, a praise report that's the prayer that had been praying had been answered. Things like that have almost got lost in our modern spirituality. We're too quick to throw things out and to stop praying for something and to tarry in prayer for something. Or sometimes we even forget there's something about writing things down. There's something about recording it and actually seeing the answers to prayers come. So we need to be specific. But if we look at this, there's a pattern here where Solomon asks, and what's he praying about? He's praying about prayer. Let me say that again. Solomon is praying about prayer. And that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is where we're at right now. We are praying that God would start to move in this house, in this church, in prayer. Because believe you me, an intercessory prayer meeting with 50 odd people in a room is nothing compared to what God wants to do with us in this house with prayer. I do believe, and my specific prayers at the minute, are that God would begin to move with us in a 24-7 style prayer and worship movement. That there would be worship and prayer, not that there's anything special about this building, but there would be worship and prayer going on all the time in this house. Because what happens when that kind of prayer is going on, God can't help but be drawn to it. It creates a landing space for the Holy Spirit where there is just this invitation for God to constantly come and move. It's like I used to, I mean, many, many years ago, I used to uh, teach swimming. It's one of the jobs that I taught. Uh, one of the things I taught in uh, the first school I taught in. And the last thing we used to do every uh, the last thing we used to do uh, at the end of every term is we would get the kids to all start walking in the shallow pool round and round. And very quickly, it kind of creates like this whirlpool. Have you, ever, have you ever seen anybody do this? And then what happens is where it's really hard at the start to get it moving. Soon, if you have anybody at all who's not like, you know, as strong as the others, what happens is they kind of get 
flung around the whirlpool because the momentum starts to go, it starts to kick in, it starts to get really easy, and before long, the momentum's actually driving it, it's making it go, it's like a, it's like a positive feedback loop, it gets faster and faster and faster and easier and easier and easier. When we're in a place here where there's prayer and worship going on all the time, this entering into what God's doing and the ministry and a movement of the Spirit gets really, really easy for anybody coming in to have that encounter with Jesus. Okay? So that's, I think that's a good picture for what I think God wants us to do and where God wants to bring us. So if we look here, God wants us to pray big prayers about prayer. That God might actually start to do something in our church, in our land. Um, let's look again here at chapter 7, verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Okay. When we start to pray and ask God to move in our house, in our church, in prayer, God really likes that. What's God's response to this? Yeah. Okay, if you're up for it, I'm up for it. Here we are. Now, I'm not saying that God has chosen journey like he chose, the temp- like chose Solomon's temple, but there's something about the heart of God when we ask God, would you move in our house? He wants to come and move more than we want him to. It's when the hunger starts to rise up. And this is what Mike was talking about right in the first week, that when we actually allow ourselves to get physically hungry, something spiritual happens. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. See, some of the problem is this. We can see the drought, the locusts, the disease in our land. We can see it. You can see where the locusts have stolen right across Ireland. You can see where there's drought and there's people who are desperate for the Holy Spirit. You can see where people are sick and suffering in ways that they don't need to, in spiritual ways and in physical ways. And what's the solution to it? We need God to come and heal our land. We need God to come and heal our land. A a great program, a great uh, set of services is not going to cut it. We need God to come and heal our land. And how does this happen? It comes through God's people humbling themselves in prayer, seeking his face, and turning from their wicked way. So we have three things we actually need to do here. We need to seek God's face, we need to humble ourselves in prayer, and we need to turn from our wicked ways. And I want to talk a little bit about that. I'm going, to go to, I'm going to go to a passage here in Judges. Uh, at this point, you're going, Ian, you've lost your marbles. We're talking about prayer. Why are we going to a passage in Judges? Because I think God wants to show us something. He wants to show us something of our role in this land. Because we do have a role as a church in this land. And God also wants to show us something that's going on in the church in our land at the minute. Excuse me. Let's, uh, can we turn to Judges 16? 
Uh, this is a story of the end of uh, Samson's life. And again, uh, good old Samson. He's a good old Sunday school uh, Bible story. Uh, there's all sorts of stories of Samson. You know, if you, I'm sure you know the story of Samson, but just to recap a little bit, dedicated to the Lord as a baby, never going to cut his hair, takes the Nazarite vow. And with that, God gives him this incredible strength. And he is, uh, he's one of the judges of Israel. So he's one of the leaders. And he basically leads God's people. Really super strong. He, I mean, he, he defeats people with, uh, you know, defeats armies with just, a, a, just the, the skull of, a, of, of an ox or a lion. He, like, it's just incredible. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger, super strong, muscle builder, um, incredible human feat of strength, all these things. But he has a weakness. He's a flaw. You see, he's, he's got all the charisma of a leader. He's got all the competency, but he doesn't have the character. And there's a fundamental character flaw in him where he likes uh, wild women. Um, a particular woman called Delilah. And Delilah wants to entrap him. And she keeps asking him, you know, what's the secret of your strength? What can we do to defeat you? And he tells her a whole fate of lies. And she does those things. You tie me up with new string and all these things. And he just defeat, and he destroys whoever comes to capture him. But eventually, she wears him down. And he tells her the truth. Listen, it's to do with a vow that was made when I was a baby. If you cut my hair, I'll be as weak as water. And that's what happens. His character flaws lead to him being defeated. And that's where we pick up the story. Uh, we're going to pick up the story here where he's been captured and he's been taken to the temple of a demonic god called Dagon. And uh, the Philistines basically are making fun of him. So that's where we pick this up. This is uh, chapter 16, verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice, and they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, so they were enjoying a drink or two, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. Who knows that this exact thing still goes on today? There are people in the world, a lot of them seem to be on social media, I seem to find quite a few of them, who just love it when Christians mess up. They just rejoice. It is like, call them out. Let's, they've been absolutely defeated. Look, their eyes have been gouged out. Come on, bring them out for our entertainment. And there is an absolute hatred of the gospel and an absolute hatred of the church out in society. So let's continue. So the point I'm making there is this, that right spirit, that spirit there still exists today. So, uh, verse 26, and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, because his eyes have been gouged out here, he's blind, he can't see where he is. Um, so, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now, the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. 
Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines from my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell on the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those who he killed during his life. So a cheery story there, Ian. Very encouraging. Right, what is this all about? Why am I sharing this with you? Okay, there's two reasons. Number one, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter how far you think you have fallen from God. You may have walked with God in the past and have incredible testimonies and stories like Samson had, and you may have fallen and feel like you don't even deserve God's grace. God wants to use you mightily. Okay, so that's number one. You cannot fall far enough from God's plan that he cannot use you and actually bring so much victory into your life that you wouldn't even believe it, okay? So that is a word for some people out there. Be encouraged. All of us fall. All of us fail. We can all go there just like Samson, but our God's amazing and can still use us, all right? The second thing, however, is there is a bigger prophetic application to this. And I believe, as I've been studying this this week, that this picture of Samson is actually a picture of the church in Ireland right now. Okay? The church in Ireland. Now, not, listen, before I go any further, our role in church life in Northern Ireland is to encourage, equip, and build up other churches. I am not slagging off any particular church here. I'm not having a go at anybody's doctrine. That's not what I'm doing. But there is a weak, pathetic church in Northern Ireland right now. There is a weak, pathetic church. There is an apostate church. Let's be honest. Let's call it what it is. There is an apostate church in our land which doesn't even know what the truth of the gospel is. It certainly appears to be that way when people are making, just like Samson did, compromise after compromise after compromise after compromise. Essentially, the church just happily gets in bed with whatever the spirit of the world currently happens to be. There is an apostate church out there. Okay? Anybody offended? You're all very quiet, that's good. Our role is like the little lad who brought Samson out and put Samson's hands on the pillars. Our role is to remind the church of who they are, what they're called to, how strong they really are and to actually put their hands to the job of walking in the victory and seeing a defeat of the temple of the spirit of this world. That's what we're actually called to as a church. How do we do that? Through prayer and intercession. Through prayer and intercession. Because the church in this land is a mighty, strong man that needs to rise back up again. And our job in that is to inspire, to encourage, and to direct through prayer and fasting. Because here's what I believe God has called us to do as a church. God has called us as a people to be the people that will intercede for this land like nobody else will. To be able to take on the principalities and the spirits and the powers of our age and of our land and actually see them defeated. That's what our role is. 
but we cannot do it alone and we can't do it without the power and the might of the church in this land coming together in strength. Now I'm going to do something. The worship team, do you want to come back up? I'm going to do something. I'm not going to ask everybody to stand. But what I am going to do is if you're listening to me this morning and you feel something stirring and you're feeling something inside of yourself going, I want to move, like Richard talked about last week, from this nice prayers in a prayer meeting into a spirit of intercession where I am praying and believing and seeing things happen. Now, I'm going to give a, I'm going to give a, I'm going to give a health, not a government health warning. I'm definitely not going to do that. I'm going to give a health warning here. Being kind of stepping into this spirit of, of intercession and actually receiving that does mean some cost in our lives. Okay? Let's be honest about this. What God is going to do, if, if you really step into this today, God is going to speak to you. You're likely going to wake up in the middle of the night stirred to pray for things. You're going to be, instead of going, oh, wouldn't it be a nice idea if I fasted when church is fasting? You're going to be compelled to do it. You're not, you're almost going to feel like, I, I, I have to do this. Okay? It is a compulsion, it is a spiritual thing that comes upon us when we ask for the spirit of intercession. So if you feel, you're going, yes, I hear what you're saying. I actually want to step into the spirit of intercession. I want to be one of these people who tarries and prays for our land to actually, come, to actually come against the spirits of our age and see God released and God move and to see revival. If, if that's you, stand up. If you feel you're called to pray for that, stand up with me. As I say, this is not for everybody but it's for more people than 50 people in a room praying as mighty as it was, there need to be more of us. So God, I just thank you for all of these hearts in this room right now, Lord, who are determined, Lord, to see your kingdom come and your will be done in this land. God, I thank you for the intercessors, Lord. I thank you for those who have tarried and prayed over our land, God, for years and years, Lord. They've prayed and believed and hoped and declared and prophesied, Lord. And I pray right now, Lord, that everybody who's standing here, whether they've been an intercessor in the past or they're just stepping into it, God, I pray right now a fresh impartation of a spirit of intercession, Lord, that will take them to a new place in prayer. God, I pray, Lord, you would just fill each and every one of them with your Holy Spirit right now, Lord. You would give them that anointing to pray, Lord. That you would give them, Lord, that courage to pray, Lord. You would start to speak to them, Lord, just like you did with Solomon, Lord. In the dead of the night, Lord, you would come in dreams, Lord. You would come in visions, Lord. You would come in words of knowledge, God. You would come, Lord, and give strategy. Lord, you would come and reveal the strategies of the enemy that we might see them defeated, Lord. You would come, Lord, and give us power in our prayers, Lord. Authority, God, I pray right now, Lord, as the spirit of intercession comes upon upon the house, Lord. I pray for fresh authority in prayer, Lord. Authority to see the kingdom come, Lord. And your will be done in Ireland, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, even right now, Lord, that you would give us the ability to pray for our leaders, God. To pray for our politicians, Lord. To pray for Stormont, God. To pray for the Dahal, God. To pray for everyone right across this land, God, to rise up into a new season, Lord. Come on. 
Lord, we receive your spirit of intercession, Lord, that it would no longer just be nice prayers, God, in tidy meetings, God, but it would be an eruption, God, a volcanic eruption of prayer, Lord, a movement of prayer, Lord, a movement of prayer that would shape our nation, God, that we wouldn't be content, Lord, until revival is pouring out, Lord, in every church in our land, God, that revival is pouring out in every meeting, God, until your spirit is pouring out, Lord, to every heart, Lord. We, God, we just pray right now, Lord, there would be a massive harvest of souls in Ireland, God. We just declare boldly, we declare boldly that Ireland shall be saved, God. We declare boldly that Ireland shall be saved, God. God, would you bring the gospel back on the lips of the church, God? Would you bring the gospel back, Lord, to the hearts of pastors and ministers, God? God, we pray, Lord, that you would wake up the sleepy giant that is the church. God, that you would wake up the sleepy giant that is the church in Ireland, God. You would wake them up, Lord. That we would repent, Lord. We would repent of getting into bed with the spirit of the age, Lord. That we would repent, Lord, of compromise, God. That we would repent of our apostasy and we would see, Lord. We would see your kingdom come. We would see your gospel preached in every church across the land, Lord. Would you refire the Presbyterians, God? Would you stir them up? Would you stir them up? I saw on Facebook yesterday, there was a group of Presbyterians meeting about church planting. God, we bless it in the name of Jesus, Lord. Would you stir up church planters in the Presbyterian movement? Holy Spirit, would you come back and invade that church with Holy Spirit fire, God? God, we pray for the Church of Ireland. God, we pray, Lord, for all of those ministers of the gospel who faithfully served you, Lord, in a different context. Lord, would you stir in their midst? Holy Spirit, would you invade their services? God, we pray for the Methodists, God. We pray, Lord, that you would bring them back, Lord, to that that Wesley had preached, Lord, that they were found. God, you would remind them of the rock that they were hewn in, Lord. God, we pray for the Catholic Church in Ireland, Lord. Would you bring a mighty move of the Holy Spirit, Lord? Would you bring a mighty move of the Holy Spirit, Lord? We pray for our Catholic brothers and sisters, God. We pray for the priests, Lord, even in our town. Would you capture their heart, Lord? Would you capture their heart with the Holy Spirit? God, we just ask you to move in Jesus' name. Amen.